She's coming. stage this morning. Yeah, sit up here. All right, you guys, you could actually sit on the stage this morning. Yeah. You want to sit right here, Ellie? There you go. You want to sit right there? Yeah. Okay. Or you can sit just right on the ground right here. All right. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Here's Sophie. Go ahead and take a seat right there. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, I'll just come over here so everybody can see me. Hi. I am Miss Caroline, I am Sophie's mama, and I have a question for you today. Raise your hand if you have ever been on a hike. Oh yeah, me too. What is the difference between hiking and just walking around your neighborhood? Can you raise your hand and tell me what's the difference? Yeah, Henry, what's the difference? Yeah, hiking's usually in the mountains. What do you think? What's the difference? Yeah, sometimes you get to see wildlife on hikes, animals, miles. Ooh, a hiking stick maybe, because the path in front of you can be a little bit more rocky. Sometimes there are tree roots that you have to watch out for. And I know when I go on hikes, I like to make sure I look at the map ahead of time so I know where I'm going because sometimes if you're hiking in the mountains, you don't really get to see what's in front of you all the time. And there might be a path that goes this way, a path that goes that way. And if you take the wrong path, you might end up on a trail that you really didn't want to be on. And you might not know where you're going or where to go next or what to do. And that can feel a little scary, right? If you're on a path where you don't know where you're going, right? It can feel a little scary. And that's actually how Jesus' disciples, his best friends, felt after Jesus left them to go up to heaven. They were all of a sudden on a path where they didn't really know where they were going. They were used to having Jesus guiding them and telling them, okay, we're going to this city next. We're going to talk to these people next. But all of a sudden, their best friend was gone. And so they were all alone and didn't know what to do next. But luckily, Jesus, he told them, okay, it's your turn to go Tell everyone in the world about how much God loves us. It's your turn to do that. And even though the disciples were all alone, he said, I'm not going to leave you all alone for long. I'm going to send someone to help you. I'm going to send. Who, do you know who he sent to help them, to help guide them? Oh, say that louder. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Right. He sent down the Holy Spirit to live in their bodies, in their hearts. Can you touch your heart? Yeah, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in their hearts so that the Holy Spirit could guide them onto where they should go next and who they should talk to next so they could tell the whole world about God's love, okay? I kind of want to show you what I mean. So I brought some, some friends to help today, and I also have a volunteer named Sophie who's going to kind of help us see what this looks like. Okay, Miss Sophie, come on over here. You're going to put this blindfold on, okay? Can you put that on? And Sophie is gonna have a path in front of her with some obstacles, some stuffed animal obstacles. This is the wildlife on her hike. Okay, a giant fish named Margaret. Is it hot in that hat? Okay, Sophie, here's your goal. You're gonna start over here, Soph. 
You can't see? Okay, let me help you here. No, I can't find your crown. Your crown, oh, here. Okay, your crown, it's on your head. Okay, Sophie, you are gonna walk on this path and you can't see where you're going, right? Just like in life, sometimes we find ourselves on a path and we don't know where we're going. We can't see what's in front of us, right? And things might feel a little scary. Things might feel a little bit lonely. But luckily, we've got some helpers. So I need all of you in just a second when I say go. You're going to use your voices and you're going to help Sophie try and get from here around the obstacles to, oh, to this bench of safety. We're all gonna use our voices at the same time. So you might say, Sophie, go around the fish. Or you might say, go, Sophie, go, and just encourage her. All right, you ready to use your voices? All right. One, two, three, go, tell her how to go. Oh, that's a little hard, that's a little hard. I know, it's so hard. There's a, okay. There's, there's a lot of voices right now, right? That can be kind of confusing, especially when you can't see what's ahead of you. You have a lot of people telling you where they think you should go. But you know what we can do when, we're, when we come across those moments in our lives? We can listen to the Holy Spirit because he's in our hearts. Okay, so Sophie, I'm going to be your guide, and I'm going to guide you through this really treacherous path. Are you ready? Can you close your eyes? Can I have Miles, will you come up here? Come here. Will you close your eyes? Okay, Miles. All right. All of these people, they're going to try and tell you where to go, but I want you to listen to me, okay? I'm your guide. All right, you guys ready? Tell them where to go. All right, Miles, we're going to go this way. Here. We're going to go around this owl. We're going to go through the fish. Oh, nice. We're going to go around the bear, and we made it. Woo! All right. Nice job. We can all take a seat over here. All right, sit down, sit down, everybody, sit down. Good job. Okay, let's take a seat. Let's take a seat. Because the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is when we find ourselves on a path with obstacles in front of us where we don't know where we're going, where we don't even know if we're on the right path, we have something, we have someone who can help us. So put your hands on your heart again. And we're going to say this prayer together. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You ready? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I'm going to say it again. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Because you always have... You always have the Holy Spirit inside of you when you don't know what to do next and you don't know where to go, okay? Um, I have one more thing to share with you today. And this was written by Miss Emily. So that every week we could say a blessing for you guys as you go to Sunday school and as you live out the rest of your week. Okay, so everybody in our church congregation, you can put your hand forward if you'd like. This is a blessing for the children that we're going to do on a weekly basis for them. All right, this is for you guys. May the Lord give you all curious minds to learn, soft hearts to grow, and ready feet to be like Jesus no matter where you go with God's help and grace. May you know how loved you are by God and by your church family. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now we get to really go to Sunday school. Well, that's the sermon, friends. Y'all can, uh, we can just go back into 
go back into worship after that. Um, well, again, good morning. My name is uh, Joe Cutchall. I am the Director of Worship and Creative Arts here at our church. Uh, again, welcome to those of you who are in the sanctuary with us and those of, us who, those of you who are joining us online. Um, if you're just now tuning in for this series that we started a couple weeks ago, we are in a series called Square One where we are walking through the book of Acts together this fall. So again, if you haven't joined us yet for this series, we're looking at the book of Acts this fall because we find ourselves in a season as Grace Commons where we are trying to figure out what it looks like to build or to rebuild a church. Very much like the first disciples in the first century, we find ourselves at a crossroads where it feels like everything is changing. Our culture is changing. Our church is changing. We may feel like we are changing. The things that once seemed so certain, those are being challenged. Those seem like they may be being uprooted in front of our eyes. And so we're trying to figure out how to navigate through all this. We're trying to figure out how to, to navigate through the uncertainty. And in doing so, we're going back as close as we can to the source material of how to build a church or how the church was built, to this account that was written by Luke, the gospel writer, <clears throat> of how a handful of poor, ordinary, uneducated Jesus followers in the first century, how they pulled off the greatest underdog victory in history with no money, no army, no political influence of any kind, how they started a movement that became the church that changed the world. Because if they can do it, if they can do it with the resources and the knowledge that they possessed, well, then maybe here in Boulder in 2022, we can do something similar. Maybe if we can recapture some of their passion, some of their belief, then we might be able to do more than just revitalize our little corner of 16th and Walnut. So to recap just briefly where we've been so far, we, uh, we started last week, Randy introduced us last week to some of the main recurring themes in Acts. And first and foremost, we have this, this initial idea that the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus, that this is square one of square one, so to speak, that this is the inciting incident. This is the reason for building the church in the first place because the event of the resurrection of Jesus, this is what proves once and for all that Jesus is who he claims to be that he has all authority, that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah. And, and today, we're going to look at the, the second chapter of Acts, which will lead us into the second theme here, which is that the source of our power as believers is the Holy Spirit. And in addition to that, I think that there's going to be a, there's going to be a question for us at the heart of this second chapter of Acts, which is this, which is who do we rely on? As we seek to navigate and navigate change and to rebuild a church, who are we relying on? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So to understand what we're going to hear from today in Act 2, we actually have to rewind the story just a little bit. We're going to go back to the Last Supper. This is just before Jesus is arrested where he is sitting with his disciples in the upper room and he makes them a promise. This is in John 14. It gives us a glimpse into this conversation where, among many things, uh, Jesus says to his disciples that he's going to go away, but that when he goes away, he will not leave them as orphans, right? He will go to the Father, and the Father will send the Advocate or the Holy Spirit to come, to come be with them and to live in them. And at that point, the disciples, they, they were very confused. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. But then we fast forward in the story to a few days later. Jesus is arrested. 
He's crucified. Three days later, he's resurrected. And then as we heard last week in Acts 1 from Randy, he, he spends 40 days being with his disciples before he ascends back into heaven. And if you remember last week, just before Jesus' ascension, he, he tells his disciples something. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that the Father has promised. And so after Jesus ascends back into heaven, the disciples do just that. They wait in Jerusalem in kind of this anxious holding pattern, waiting for whatever it is that Jesus has promised. And finally, the day of Pentecost comes, and this is where we pick up the story in Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So, yeah, that's always a funny line, right, <laughs> when we read this passage. So, so real quick... I just want to pause there for a moment, and I want to give this passage a little bit of context. And if you're, if you're one of those people who hate it when, when preachers give too much historical context, you can, you know, I give you permission to tune out, take a nap for the next couple minutes. Um, I understand that impulse. But I will say, I've called myself a Christian for, for 20 years, and um, I never heard anybody preach on these, de these details that, that uh, sort of surround this, uh, this day of Pentecost. And I think they add a lot of depth, a lot of richness to the story. So I'm going to share them with you now. We have a little slide to go with this about the parallelism that we find in Acts 2. So first of all, the, the, this word Pentecost, it's called Pentecost because of the Greek prefix penta. It means 50. It's 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. And as we know, Jesus' death and resurrection, it took place during the Jewish high holiday of Passover. Well, as it happens, seven weeks or about 50 days after Passover, you get the next major Jewish festival, which is called Shavuot, or the Festival of Weeks. We read about this in the Old Testament. And what is celebrated during the Festival of Weeks is the giving of the Law of Moses, the, the Torah at Mount Sinai, right? The Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that God made with the Jewish people that set them apart as being the chosen people of God. So, what's so to clarify the parallelism here, right, Jesus is crucified during Passover when the Jews remember God is their Savior, their Deliverer. And then 50 days later, when, when as the passage says, at this moment in Jerusalem, Jews from all across the Greco-Roman world, they would have made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this covenant that sets them apart as the chosen people of God. And what happens? The Spirit shows up, he pours out in wind and tongues of fire, and he literally blows the doors off of what it now means to be called the people of God. Isn't that cool? Okay, cool. I, you know, I, sometimes I think that me and Carl are the only two people that geek out on that stuff, but I'm, I'm glad that you appreciate it as well. So, picking back up in the story, 
Um, all the people who are around this place where this happens, uh, the, the people near where the disciples are staying, they hear this massive commotion, right, uh, with wind and fire and people speaking another language, and, and, and very naturally this crowd gathers, and they ask the disciples, hey, what the heck is going on? And Peter, who's in the spirit, he gets up to address the crowd, and he starts explaining, well, first of all, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. We don't party that hard. And then he begins to walk through these scriptures, right? He begins to walk through the Old Testament prophecy that demonstrate how Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah that was promised in the Old Covenant. And because, how, because of how Jesus has fulfilled these prophecies, that now God has poured his spirit out as he said that he would through the prophet Joel. That was the passage that we read just a, just a few minutes ago in the top of the service. But then Peter says something very important. This is towards the end of the chapter of Acts 2 that we shouldn't miss. It says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So what we read in Acts 2 is that the Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost just as Jesus had promised. But, the, but there's this really important piece here at the end that Peter gives us that the promise of this Holy Spirit, right, that that promise is not just for those first disciples in Jerusalem. It's not just for the people who were there that day, but that actually this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That the promise of the Holy Spirit is for everyone through the coming generations who will turn themselves toward following the way of Jesus as their Lord. That's what it's all about. And here's the thing, friends. From that day of Pentecost up until this moment right now where we're sitting, this promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of believers, it changes everything. Because what it means is that God's dwelling place here on earth, it's no longer an ark, it's no longer a temple, it's not somewhere off far distant on a, on a mythical mountain, it's not in any kind of book or, or instruction manual. No, because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, what it means is that the spirit of the living God now dwells where? In us, that's right. In you and in me, the people sitting next to you in the pews right now, we are the temple, of, the temple that God has chosen to inhabit. And friends, this is as profound, this is as revolutionary as it gets, the idea that the God of the universe, he wouldn't just come to live with us as the, in the form of Jesus Christ in flesh and blood, right? But that he would actually make his home in us by the Holy Spirit. This is monumental. This is shocking, that the, the idea that, as Paul says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now inhabits flesh and blood human hearts. This is mind-blowing stuff, right? And so we're going to talk more, I think, about what that actually means for, for us here sitting in this room in, for, in just a moment. But, but just for a second, I want to actually focus in on what this new reality of the Spirit's presence, what that would have meant for these first disciples in Jerusalem at that moment. Because, because if we think about this, if we think about what the disciples had, what they had going for them, and what it takes to start a movement that changes the world, 
up to that moment, the disciples didn't have a lot of stuff going for them, right? They, they really only had a couple of things in their, in their toolkit. They had, they had Jesus' words and his teaching. They had been discipled by Jesus. They had walked with him in his earthly ministry. And then secondly, they, they had confidence that Jesus was the Messiah because they had seen the resurrection, they believed that Jesus was the Savior that was promised because they were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But up until that point, that was pretty much it. But now, starting on the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden they have something that is brand new. They have something that has never been seen before. They have the Spirit of God living inside of them. And, and the thing about this, friends, the thing about this is that this is the watershed moment for the early Christians specifically because now, as of this moment, the disciples have everything that they need to build the church. As of that moment, with the Holy Spirit's indwelling, they have everything they need in order to start the movement that became the church that changed the world. Did they have seminary degrees? No, they did not. Did they have money? Definitely not. Did they have education? Most of them were illiterate. Did they have a facility to do ministry? Did they have a, you know, a, a fancy mission and vision statement? Did they have a strategic plan? Did the disciples have an org chart, right? Did they have an easily navigable website or a following on Instagram? No, they didn't have any of this stuff. And friends, we often don't consider this point, but I think it's, I think it's pretty revolutionary, right? When we think about what the early disciples have and didn't have, had and didn't have, they didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Covenant, right? They had these, these, these scriptures and these prophecies that talked about and pointed to Jesus. But the New Testament, all of the Gospels and Paul and John and Peter's writings, all of these things that we have studied for centuries, the things that we built whole theologies and denominations around, none of that had been written yet. All these first disciples had were those three things. They had their experience walking with Jesus and being discipled by him, they had their confidence in Jesus' lordship because they had seen the resurrection. And now they had the power and the advocacy of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. And that's it. That's all they had in their toolbox to begin building the movement that became the church that changed the world. So here's, here's, what, all of I th here's what I think all of this amounts to. If we, if we bring this back to us in this room, I think what all this amounts to is maybe one of the biggest discrepancies between the first followers of Jesus and people like us in a place like Boulder in 2022. And what that discrepancy boils down to is this question that we asked at the beginning of the sermon. It's this question, who do we rely on? Especially when it comes to building or rebuilding a church, who do we rely on? Because, see, the first disciples, they knew they knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that they were deeply unqualified for the task in front of them. They knew that they were poor. They knew that they were uneducated. They, they knew that they were from a backwater town, Galilee, in a relatively unimportant province of the Roman Empire. And so they knew that they couldn't possibly hope to accomplish this, this great task that Jesus laid before them, this great commission to preach the gospel to all nations. They knew that they couldn't do it. And on top of that, they faced massive opposition, basically wherever they went. So, so the first disciples, they, they just simply had no other choice. They had to rely 
on a power greater than themselves to keep going. They had to let the Holy Spirit be the voice, be the advocate, be the the one that pleaded their case and taught them all things and to be the actual source of power working through them because they knew from the start that they didn't have the tools to do it on their own. Now, in contrast to that, if we were to just look around the room this morning, sort of just take a poll, what we would find is a lot of expertise and a lot of qualification here, wouldn't we? Just, just as a baseline, the fact that most of us have been to school gives us an astronomical level of education compared to those first disciples. And, and on top of that, many of you sitting in this room, many of you watching online at home, you actually are experts in something, right? You are the doctors. You are the, the business leaders. You are the scientists. You are the college professors and the lawyers. You are the people with extremely high levels of competence and expertise, And so if we think about this, right, uh, culturally, us in this room, we almost couldn't be more different. We're almost the polar opposite of a group of first century Jewish Palestinian fishermen, aren't we, right? Almost couldn't be more different. But, But practically, what I think this means is that in contrast to those first disciples who had to trust the Holy Spirit for every move that they made, we just aren't used to that. We're not used to having to rely on something greater than ourselves to get things done. We aren't used to having to rely on more than our own intellect, more than our own ingenuity, more than our own resources, because here in the developed Western world, right, we operate under this ingrained societal value of self-reliance, right? We're the ones that research. We put in the research. We put in the long hours. We find the funding. We find the strategy. We find the the treatment plan or the workout plan. We build our schedules so that things work out the way we want. That's how we get things done. And and I would submit to us, friends, that, that in a place like this, that that tends to be at least a little bit, if not our default approach to our faith as well. Because it's our approach to everything else. It's just how we get things done, right? We, we know about the Holy Spirit. We know about him. We read about him in Scripture. We know that he's an important part of the Trinity. But then when it comes to what he does, how he works in our lives, we're, we're sort of wrestling with, our, with this self-reliance, and we're looking at the Holy Spirit at the same time, kind of asking, like, well, what do we need you for again? Right? That tends to be how we can treat the Holy Spirit until something goes wrong. Until something goes wrong. It's only when we actually encounter a problem, something in our lives or something in our church that's so daunting, so out of our control, that we actually can't solve it, that that's finally when we loop the Holy Spirit into the process, right? We encounter something that's too big for us, and then finally at that point we're like, hey, Holy Spirit, actually could you come here for a second? We need, this is out of control. We need you to fix this. Could you, um, you know, we did our best. We took this as far as we could go, but we got in a little over our heads, as you can see. We need you to do, work a miracle or something, whatever it is you do. We need you to fix this because we, we can't get it across the finish line without you. That tends to be how we operate as modern, well-educated, well-resourced Christians because in all our ex- expertise, In all our qualification, all our self-reliance, we just aren't used to needing something more than what we already possess. And 
So, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I, I'm by, because I'm by no means saying that all of the expertise, all of the qualification, all of the resources represented in, that, in this room, that that's a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I would say that that is a tremendous gift from God that we have so many highly educated, well-qualified people here in our congregation right now. But what I am saying, friends, what, I'm, what I am saying is that if that's what we're choosing to rely on, and I'm not saying that we are, but if that's what we're choosing to rely on, if we are choosing to rely on our own power and our own qualification and our own ingenuity as we try to get through this season of change as a church, if that's what we're relying on, well, then, friends, we've missed the point of what it means to have the Spirit of God working in us and through us. If we're choosing to rely on ourselves then we have forgotten that the source of our power as believers, it's never been anything that we have. It's never been us. It's never been our intellect. It's never been our theology. It's never been our morality. It's never been our strategic vision. It's never been our historic legacy. As great as all those things are, that's, those have never been the source of our power as believers. The source of our power as believers from the day of Pentecost up until now is the Spirit of God working in us and through us and that's it. That's all we got. And so, as we, amen, it's enough. As we continue to face everything that we have ahead of us, all these changes, all these challenges, and I think it's fair to say that we've got more than our fair, of thing, more than our fair share of things to overcome right now, don't we? We've got a few things in front of us that seem pretty big, pretty daunting, what we have is this choice to make. We have this choice to make on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. Who do we rely on? And don't get me wrong, because choosing to rely on the Spirit, choosing to rely on the Spirit and not ourselves, that is not an easy thing to do. It's, it's not easy, especially for us, to surrender our knowledge, to surrender our resources, to surrender all the control over the outcome that we want to have, to say, God, we trust you, your power, your vision, that that's greater than ours. That is not an easy thing to do. But friends, I'll leave us today, I'll leave us today with this thought. I think it depends on what we want. I think it depends on what we want. To put it this way, we'll throw this up on the screens, who we choose to rely on, depends on what we want. What outcome do we want to see here at Grace Commons and in Boulder and beyond? Because because if what we want, if what we truly want is is just to revitalize our church, if if all we want is to just see more membership, to attract young people, to to upgrade our facility, to, to see us hire a great new senior pastor, to see us regain some level of our former level of, of cultural prominence, to see our church survive for another 150 years. None of those are bad things. None of those are bad things in and of themselves. I want those things the same way that I think most of you do, right? But if what we want is more than that, if we want to actually see lives changed because of the gospel, If we want to see our neighbors and our children and our grandchildren, if we want to see them find true faith, find true freedom in Jesus for the first time, 
If we want to see the fruits of the Spirit, if we want to see love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if we want to see those things manifest in our community, friends, if we want to see revival, that's a scary word, isn't it? If we want to see revival in one of the most unlikely places in all the world, Boulder, Colorado, if that's what we want to see, then we can't do it on our own. We cannot do that on our own, friends, because it's going to cost too much. It's going to require that giving up of everything that we possess, all of our expertise and qualification and all of our control over the outcome. Because it's going to require, that is going to require a power and a voice and a capability that we do not possess. We just don't have it. So friends, as we navigate all of this, as we navigate everything and all the change and all the challenge that we have in front of us, and we make this choice day to day of who we rely on, there's something that we should remember. What we should remember is that all of us, every single one of us, we are sitting in this room today because of the decision of those first disciples to rely completely on the Spirit for everything that they did. They relied on the power, they relied on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and they gave up everything they had, including their lives in most cases, because what they wanted, what they wanted more than anything was for us, us, this unknown, distant generation. They didn't have any idea who we are, but what they wanted more than anything was for us to know the transforming work, the power of the gospel. That's what they wanted. And so my prayer for us today is just that we have that same courage, that we have that same faith to say to Boulder and beyond that this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand and we'll continue in worship together. Amen.